And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Dr. Edith Ubuntu-Chan, graduate of Harvard University in applied mathematics, who left a career in the software industry to become a Chinese medicine healer. Inspired by a series of mystical awakening experiences, she devoted her life to exploring the frontiers of our human possibilities. Dr. Edith, thank you for joining me today and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. And to the audience, thank you for sharing this time and this energy together with us. I'm a huge fan of the show and it's a big honor to be here. Thank you. Dr. Edith, how did you go from being a mathematician in a software company to becoming a Chinese medical healer? You know, the story actually started when I was four years old and probably like a lot of your audience were interested in your show and these interesting topics because maybe on a deep level when we were kids, we saw beyond the physical reality. And when I was four years old, I used to stare at the, the ceiling and see all these lights and geometries and orbs and all these things and nobody would understand what I was talking about. And so I kind of gradually started just not talking about it and um, one day my dad is talking about how he's got this back pain. He's seen all these different doctors. And my sister also had an ankle sprain that was always swollen. And they went from doctor to doctor. And they, then somebody said, you know, there's this Qigong healer, this Chinese Qigong healer. And we were growing up in Hong Kong at the time. And so very modernized society, uh, materialistic, capitalistic. We had uh, Western doctors and nurses and a lot of Western professionals in our family and everyone says here go see the best orthopedist the best doctors and nobody could help so one day my dad's like maybe we should go see this back alleyway qigong chinese healer guy and so i was like "Ooh, how exciting something new and so i remember like it was yesterday my mom put me in this like matching velour warm-up suit. It was purple velour warm-up suit. And it was so memorable. We all went along and I saw with my own eyes this Qigong healer. In one session, my dad's back pain was better. And in one session, my sister's ankle sprain, the swelling came down. And I got to see it. And here's this guy. He got a big, big belly. I was like you have a big belly, Uncle Qigong healer guy. And he's like, this is qi. This is my dantian. Dantian is a Chinese Qigong term for the energy. The field of medicine is actually what it means that is in your belly. And he's like, this is where I store my qi for healing. You know, it's like, wow. I was so blown away by it. At four, you don't have this idea of what you should do when you grow up. It's like, I should do what is cool and awesome and helps people, of course. So I go around telling everybody about that. When I grow up, I'm going to become a Chinese chi healer, like that guy. And so all the adults were like, oh, how cute. And so they, it, this was, you know, to their credit, all parents want what's best for their kids. Me too. And you too, I'm sure. And so at that time, my aunts, my uncles, my mom, my dad, everybody wants what's best for me. They don't want me to be a starving, you know, hippie shaman healer guy in a back alleyway. And back then, it's not like today, so many decades later, so I mean, what a beautiful time we're living that consciousness research and energy healing and all of this stuff, we're actually seeing 
the scientific understanding of it now. And I know you've had some brilliant guests that have devoted their life to, to bridging the dimensions of this reality and sharing scientific understanding of how the nature of reality and energy healing and the multidimensional nature of our consciousness, how that is all kind of measurable now. And we research about it. But back then, it was just woo-woo stuff to everybody. Even though we all saw with our own eyes, this guy delivered some results with our own eyes, right? So my parents, my aunts, uncles, you know, with, with their very best intention, tried to dissuade me. And this happened for months and months. I'm four. I'm like, tell me, how can I become a Chinese chi healer when I grow up? You know, and eventually they dissuaded me. They said, you can't make a living. Also, usually it's boys, not girls that can learn how to do this. There's all these reasons why I could not become a Chinese Qigong healer or Chinese medicine healer. So then I thought, if I really can't, then the next thing I'm super curious about is when I stare at the ceiling, I see the stars, I see the orbs, I see into the cosmos. Maybe I should become um, an astronaut and learn how to fly through the stars and learn how the nature of the stars work. So I started telling them, well, my second choice would be to be an astronaut. And so all the adults said, well, that's better. You know, there's a career path there. If you learn to be really good at math and science and engineering, um, you might have a chance to apply to become an astronaut someday and learn how to run, um, you know, rocket ships and all this kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, I can get really good at math and science. And I did. And fast forward, I ended up going to the Ivy League college and having an applied math degree to excelling in engineering, excelling in science, excelling in math. And then um, that was right around the time in the beginning of that first dot-com boom. It was pretty easy with that kind of credential to just get hired by hundreds of you know, software companies that were just up and coming. And so I um, got recruited by quite a number of companies doing software. And it was like, I forgot about the astronaut thing. I forgot about the Qigong thing. It was just like, oh, here's a high paying salary job that, you know, you're good at. So I'm working a couple of years out of college at the software company. And now I'm noticing, wow, this is like very fast paced, hectic, stressful life. Work hard, play hard, they would say, right? Like you're, I'm in San Francisco, working at a software company, pushing the midnight oil, pushing deadlines as a startup is very intense, is exciting. Everybody that I know is in their 20s and paper millionaires because they have stock options that someday, someday, someday could turn into billions. And I had been a college athlete. I've been an athlete all my life. And at this point, my body is inflamed. I've got bad skin and pimples. I got digestive problems. Everything is inflamed. I'm getting colds and flus all the time. My body's not very healthy. And I gained a bunch of weight. And I was still doing sports. But I was like, is this what adult life is like? And I'd go see a doctor and they'd be like, yeah, just take an Advil, you know, I hope it's not TMI, like menstrual cramps every month. And they're like, take an Advil, it's just normal, it's just stress, it's just normal. It's like, there's got to be something more to life than this stress, 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 and then blow off steam partying on the weekends. So I'm at this software company working quite hard and apparently good at my job because I won the Employee of the Year Award. And I got invited into a kind of senior high up meeting. 
and everybody would say, wow, you've made it. Hardworking immigrant family, you get into the best universities, you graduate magna cum laude, you get a great job, and now you're employee of the year award, and now the senior high ups at this meeting is at this company is inviting to you to the senior meeting, like really accelerating your career path quite quickly. So I walk into this meeting because my job at the time, this has always been my gift, is to distill and synthesize many perspectives and many dimensions of information in a way that people can easily understand. I had a job that was um, kind of a project manager between the business side and the te technology side. So they invited me to the senior meeting to kind of bring some of that multidisciplinary expertise into the, into the meeting. And so it's like, wow, you've really made it. You got invited to this high up meeting and I walk into the meeting so excited. And then it was like the record player came to a screeching halt. I sit down and I look around at these very successful software people, all the people that I was thinking I wanted to aspire to be like when I grew up, my mentors, the people that I was striving to be like, and suddenly I noticed they're all inflamed and stressed out and cranky and not that healthy. Is this who I want to become when I grew up? I started, this voice started speaking to me. Look around this boardroom table. Is this who you want to be when you grew up? And so the meeting was kind of stressful. You know, it, it was just all about... Um, the bottom line and dealing with regulators and all these things. And I was like, my heart is not in it at all. I'm good at this job, but I actually really hate this job. And so just like that, boom, the moment that thought came was this other voice that was like, what did you want to be when you grew up? And then it all came flooding back, the image of the Chico master with the big belly, the image of myself as a four-year-old wearing the matching velour warm-up suit, the image of how my dad's back pain, my sister's ankle sprain all got better. And then like arguing with the adults around me about wanting to become a Qigong healer when I grew up, all of that came flooding back in. It's like, is that what you wanted to be when you grew up? And so the whole meeting, I was probably the worst ever. I was so distracted because these dueling voices was there the whole time I was at this meeting. And I don't think I paid at all attention to that meeting. I went straight back to my desk right after that. I started researching Chinese medicine, Qigong healer. How could I do that for a living? And by now... In the United States, there had already been graduate degree programs and a whole way. There's a lot of um, research on PubMed that you could find about acupuncture, herbology, Qigong. And now, you know, a couple of decades later, even more so. So I was in this turmoil of deciding what to do with my career for a few months and talking it out with friends and family. And everybody thought it was a horrible idea. Nobody recommended it or encouraged it, but luckily my parents were saying, you know, if you have to, there's nothing we can do to stop you, but we think it's a horrible idea, you know, and just around that time I met my now husband, we started dating and he had just gotten burnt out from his corporate job and quit to do some soul searching and September 11th happens. And right after that, I said, that's it. The world is unpredictable. 
I don't want to end this life not having pursued my childhood dream. I would regret it for lifetimes. And so I basically cold turkey quit my job after September 11th and started going to Chinese medicine school. And just like I'm sure a lot of your audience has experienced, once you start listening to your heart, synchronicities after synchronicities after synchronicities start lining up and everything just worked out. I met this amazing mentor who took me in. I just loved everything about Chinese medicine school. And even though I hadn't planned financially how to make ends meet, somehow the right part-time jobs just kept landing in my lap. So month after month, everything, my, my basic needs were always taken care of. And I'm so grateful. And I'm sure later on, we'll start talking about some of those um, practicing Qigong and the mystical dimensions that started opening up and blossoming within me right after I started Chinese medicine school. What is Qigong? Or maybe should we just say Qi? Is it just energy or is it your consciousness? If I were to try to put into words, my experience and my understanding is consciousness is the organizing principle underlying this physical reality and um, intention and our mind, all of that is part of it, but it's something deeper than that, I think, consciousness. And chi is, um, chi refers to the energetic nature. There's a kind of like the, um, the motive force of what makes life flow, you know, kind of what keeps the engine of life moving and continuing to evolve. I know that they define, they translate chi into energy, but it's so much more than that. And in Chinese, we combine chi with other things. You know, for example, if um, in Cantonese, if you go to a restaurant and they cook a great meal and with a wok, they say, wow, this meal has such good wok chi. Like, how do you translate that? But you know what that means. It's like it's freshly stir fried and the smells and there's just good energy like radiating out of this, this, this dish has good wok chi. So chi can be combined with all these other things to mean that there's like an energetic nature to the thing that is um, not physical, but we can all feel it and we can sometimes smell it and sense it and, and experience it. So Qigong, what is Qigong? Qigong is a very broad umbrella term for bringing your conscious intention into working with the flow of Qi. Gong means like working with something, with intention and sometimes with some amount of effort or some amount of discipline. So it's a practice of working with the chi. So it can be the chi of your body, it could be the chi of nature, it could be how you um, work with the chi of a client that you're working on supporting and facilitating the healing. You know, so qigong is this very broad term too. But the qigong practice usually it involves the conscious awareness of your intention the conscious awareness of your breathing pattern and the conscious awareness of your physical body, whether it's a movement, a posture, a mudra, or something like that. So when it has these three elements synchronized together into an intentional practice, that's called qigong. Sometimes people will say, you know, like if you raise your vibration or raise your energy that you can, you know, astral travel or do other things or manifest things. So maybe in the same way with a different word, if you 
increase your chi. It's kind of the same thing as raising your vibration, you know? Yeah, I think we're blossoming into a a level of our human evolution now where we may need to learn some new terminology to describe it with more precision and more nuance because Mm -hmm. energy has a quantitative aspect and a qualitative aspect too, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So what this whole just increasing it or increasing your vibration is, there's more nuance to it than that. There's a pattern of energy that we want to vibrate into or enter into resonance with. And there's just like, there's infinite possibilities of combinations of energy patterns that can create magic and beauty. You know, um, and some of this awareness is from my Qigong practice and some of it is from some of my out-of-body experiences, dream time traveling, where I've met beings and been on ships and had um, experiences that inform this understanding. And I can't reference a Chinese medicine textbook or a Qigong textbook. It's a really a direct experience of what what I've learn through my multidimensional travels too. So I I don't want to be here speaking as if I'm representing Chinese medicine because that's just one facet of my own experience. Have you had your own experience with Qigong that would be something that's, you know, magical or supernatural? I've had a number of such experiences, but the most profound was probably the first one, you know, this was but that was you witnessing your father and your sister no the first one of me practicing qigong oh, was okay yeah was was when i started chinese medicine school and i was so grateful that in chinese medicine school the curriculum involved qigong practice and tai chi practice and massage and body work so it's not just all brainiac academic memorizing and regurgitating there's an embodiment practice and there's an experiential aspect to it and also the learning how to apply um acupuncture points there's a training of the subtle energy awareness of of your consciousness your body and your fingers like i just loved all of that that kind of experiential learning so much more than the book learning. And I especially love the Qigong class was my favorite class. So every time you go to Qigong class and maybe a lot of your audience members have a Qigong practice or yoga or breathwork practice, you know that it's always a win. Every time you sit down to take some deep breaths and come back to your center, and still your mind and breathe deeply to come back into a harmonious state, it's always awesome. So this particular day, I was probably around two thirds of the way done with Chinese medicine school at this point. I went to Qigong class. I loved it so much that I followed that same Qigong teacher from school to do some advanced topics outside of school. So it was actually at her outside of school class that this happened. We were doing this practice and it was so wonderful. I just went deeper and deeper and deeper. It was this guided meditation and enjoying myself. And then all of a sudden, nothing I could have ever expected. I went so deeply within that. I exploded into trillions and trillions of pieces of love and light. It was an experience of complete contentment 
complete peace, complete serenity, a, a, a bliss. A, yeah, contentment is actually the best word that I never experienced before and I had no reference point for it. It was just trillions of pieces of love and light the size of the cosmos was who I experienced myself to be. And there was no time, there's no space, there's no body. And I just realized, wow, I am home. This is our natural state. And prior to that meditation, I remember stressing about this and that and having all these questions that I wanted answered. I thought, oh, maybe in the meditation, I can have some insights come to me. You know how you can hold an intention in a meditative state, the insight, the intuition, the wisdom often just comes. So I had these questions that I wanted answered. And in this state, it was like all questions were answered and there were no no more questions, just completeness, contentment. And I realized that this is our natural state. And maybe other uh, people that come on your show share about when they have these experiences, it's like, this is the real reality. The other one was some kind of um, simulation or fake, uh, like tacky imitation. I realized I went home to the true reality. And eventually, I don't know how much time elapsed, from far, far, far away, I heard this faint voice. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, what is that voice? It's the, the, the teacher with her guided meditation. I was like, oh yeah, wait a minute. There's a, this Edith Chan, who's a Chinese medicine grad student in some room somewhere, who's doing a Qigong practice, oh, right. Should I go back there? Maybe I should go back there. So the, her, her voice started getting more prominent where I was like, oh, she's guiding this whole other part of the meditation. There's, oh yeah, there's a meditation. There's a Qigong practice. There's a body. I should go back. I should go back. And then, then the ridiculous experience of squeezing infinite bits of love and light the size of the entire cosmos and oh my god the painful condensation back into a physical body it was so awkward and it was almost painful not not quite physically painful but on some level felt painful and awkward to do that, to densify myself back into this pretense of a girl that's in her 20s in a Chinese medicine school, sitting in a body in a classroom. It's like how awkward and strange that is. And so finally, when this, it landed back into the physical, there was a clashing of all these sensations that I took me years to even be begin to find words to articulate. It was this clashing of intense, intense gratitude, appreciation, thankfulness for having gone home and remembered who I am and who we all are. And then this intense sadness and grief of now I'm here in this body and, and up until this point in my life, realizing that how I had experienced life was backwards upside down like I, the grief that I didn't didn't really 
know who I was or what this life was about. And that's, and then the grief of, wow, this whole world is structured backwards and upside down. And so this clashing of intense emotions of intense love, intense appreciation, intense gratitude with intense sadness and grief at the same time, the only thing that the body could handle was just like that turn into avalanches of tears and tears and tears, just like, like avalanching down my face, flooding and flooding, just pouring and pouring down my face. And so I think the Qigong teacher knew something was up at that point. I'm like sobbing in this part of the room. And then finally the meditation finished and, um, and I couldn't even locomote myself to really describe. I probably mumbled a few words, what happened. And um, yeah, after that, I became a true seeker. I had to reconcile within myself. How is it that I know with every fiber of our being, of my being, that we are love, we are whole, we are light, we are, as Rumi, I think, is quoted for saying, we're the entire universe in ecstatic motion. Like I knew all of this through direct experience. And yet I'm in this body and there is stress, there's war, there's famine, there is the reality of all of the divisiveness, all of the anger, all of the upset, the poverty, the, the hunger, the many things that did not seem to me of pure peace and love and unity and oneness. I couldn't reconcile it. So that discomfort of the mismatch of who I know I really am, who I know we all really are, but why are we here in these bodies in this world of divisiveness and war and suffering and illness and all these things? It turned me into a seeker. So thereafter, I continued my Chinese medicine practice, but with that lens always, like, what is the nature of this reality? How does this place work? You know, I would go to meditation retreats, read thousands of books on spirituality and consciousness and study NDEs like crazy. And um, and then became a big fan of your show. Um, so many adventures, studying with healers and shamans and having all these other experiences one after another to fill in the gaps to really this yearning to really understand who are we? What are we doing here? How does this reality work? And how can we bring our experience of this physical human life back into alignment and coherence with what I know to be the true reality. It sounds like to me you had the NDE without the D. Yeah. But many elements of your experience are commonly seen in my NDE guests. Yeah. And after that, for at least two or three years, people would ask me, hey, Edith, how are you? And I couldn't even like answer that question. Because on the deepest level, my soul was feeling homesick, so homesick for two or three years. And some people might call it a dark night of the soul, but I was still functioning, you know, going to class, going to my part-time jobs, like showing up and with a smile and doing things. But my soul was just so yearning to go back home. And so for those first years, I would honestly, I would go into meditation just to escape this reality just to see if I could go back home. And it took quite a number of years before I realized, hey, I have this body. 
there is a purpose. There's a reason that I'm still here. I am here to listen to that inner guidance system to see how I can express my physical life in a way that is congruent with the, the higher understanding of life that I've come to experience. You know, how can I help bring heaven onto earth? I know that sounds cheesy, but, you know, in a sincere way. In Chinese Qigong, they talk about, in Chinese medicine, they talk about this, the human is the man, human is between heaven and earth. And by man, the word in Chinese, ren, doesn't have gender, it's just like mankind. We are between heaven and earth because our every human's purpose is to be the conduit, the flow of heaven onto earth to bring heaven onto earth that's our purpose so how that expresses itself differently for each of us that's the adventure of this life for us to find out do you think that wherever you were during your experience you knew why you came here but after coming back you forgot or you just can't access the reason yeah you know i have the uh, evolving understanding of that I think a lot of this life is just a fun hide and seek game with ourselves, you know, and maybe on some level, um, I've shared with you off camera that I now have an eight-year-old and a three-year-old and my eight-year-old, when he became four or five, he started sharing a lot of things about planning that happens pre-incarnation. And I bet that I plan to play this little hide and seek game to incarnate myself into a family dynamic, into a culture, into a time in the human evolution when we weren't that open to some of these multidimensional experiences. And then to shut some of that, those gifts and abilities off for a period of time. So just see who would I be if I tried to be successful on the world's terms? Like, go to the best schools, get good grade, get a good job, be a good employee. What is that like? And taste that trajectory just long enough to see that that doesn't lead to the soulful satisfaction that on a deep level was what I wanted in this life. It was meant to be that I had a short stint in that. I feel deeply grateful that I changed my path very early in my experience. And I work with clients. I do coaching work right now where people are, sometimes they're quite young and sometimes they're 60 or 70 before the soul searching happens. And I, I think there's no accident. Like we choose to experience a certain life. And then at some point on the journey, something awakens, like a time code gets unlocked where our souls can't just feel stifled by the old life and we want to break free and we want to experience something much richer and deeper and more fulfilling and that's usually when people find your show that's usually when people somehow magically synchronistically find their way to my website and we start doing some work together you know so I think I trust the perfect timing and all of that you were involved in a dark room retreat experience where you spent nine days and nights in complete darkness, fasting and meditating. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Wow. That could probably fill the entire hour <laughs> conversation. And I'll just share some highlights. Um, in 2013, I 
at this point, this is 10 years after that initial Qigong experience. So I've done a lot of soul searching and inner work. And I got to a place where it just felt like, oh, I was yearning to have this deep visit with myself, really. Right. You go into a dark room and you don't have any distractions, not even you can't read a spiritual book. You can't see anything. You can't even see your own body. You know, it's a really deep experience. So I discovered that there's a woman named Jasmuheen, and she's a famous meditation teacher based in Australia, wonderful meditation teacher. And she rents out this space in Thailand at the retreat center of a fam famous Qigong master named Mantak Chia, who built this is called Tao Gardens, and it's a retreat center where they have Tai Chi, Qigong, colonics, healing retreats, and they have one building that has been especially built for the purpose of darkness meditation. Darkness meditation is a practice that's in the more advanced levels of a Qigong practice, yoga practice, um, that ancient Egyptians would do it um, at certain levels of their initiation journey. There's a group um, of indigenous people in Colombia named the Kogis, and their seers and teachers are called the Kogis, Kogi Mamas. Um, they're actually raised in complete darkness. In the darkness, physiologically, our mutual uh, friend and colleague, John Chavez, is an expert in researching about this. You tap into the endogenous DMT state. So you experience this visionary state, but it's not from taking a medicine from outside in, it's creating the environment where after you've saturated the levels of melatonin in your body in the complete darkness, the DMT production starts to unfold and your meditations get very deep, very profound. You start having very clear visionary experiences. And so it's a very helpful tool. So the Kogis, they actually raise their teachers and seers at least nine years, sometimes 18 or longer in a dark cave environment so that their visionary abilities is really, you know, a whole other level than what we can even imagine, I think. So I go to this darkness meditation retreat, very interesting experience. It's a building that's designed for this, where they uh, cap all the windows so there's good ventilation, but not one photon of light can get into the building. And it's set up so that they have staff to make sure that you're very safe and um, supported. The staff comes in using night vision goggles to set up all the water stations and deliver juice for those who wanted. I decided I didn't want to do the juice books out of convenience because it's hard to like navigate the building to get to the juice station. And also, who knows how many years before I could do a retreat like this is a big deal to set one up and travel across the world and, you know, check um, completely go off offline off grid off everything for this long a period of time so I wanted to fast to have the deepest experience so this space is set up so that it's very easy for you to get water and every corner is um padded for safety 
If you're about to walk into a wall, there's balloons dangling at your um, forehead level. So you don't just walk right into a wall. You have some warning that you should either turn left or right, right? And within each bedroom in the perimeter where you sleep, there's a meditation hall in the middle and the bedrooms are in the perimeter. There's a phone that you can pick up and call the front desk in case you needed anything. So it's a very well-supported experience. And um, so many things I could share about it. The first thing that was very profound for me was I was very well slept, very well rested. And when the first day you set up everything and then they turn out lights out, not one photon of light in the entire building for nine days and nine nights. And I had never experienced true darkness like this before. Even though I was well-rested, well-slept going into it, I thought, wow, I am so sleepy and I need some deep, deep rest. I had no idea who am I when I'm in complete darkness. And the best analogy I could give to that is like, imagine if you've lived in a polluted city all your life, and then one day somebody just went and puts you into a redwood forest or into Amazon forest or somewhere with tons of good chi and prana and oxygen and just freshness, like nutrition in the air. And you go, oh, wow, this is how nutritious a breath of air could be. Well, I had no idea that darkness was a kind of food that my system was profoundly hungry for. I had lived in lived in cities all my life, and I always was had like decent sleep. I didn't have insomnia problems, but I didn't realize that living in cities, there was always a street light or an LED light in the, you know, all this um, light pollution. I had never experienced complete darkness, and I didn't even know that I was profoundly starving for it. So the first three days, it was this experience of my body, my cells going, absorbing the food that this darkness was providing me. And you don't know exactly what time of day it is, but our meditation teacher, Jasmine Heen, might ring a Tibetan bowl three times a day to say, hey, I'm going to guide a meditation or I'm going to guide you guys, even though we can't see each other, to do a yoga stretching routine and limber up your joints because in that darkness, you can just kind of, the inertia sometimes takes hold and you forget to stretch and move and take good care of your physical body, you know? So three times a day should ring a bell. So I had a slight sense of time where I'm like, wow, I am sleeping 16 out of the 24 hours or something like most of the day I'm sleeping. And then by the third day, bing, very well rested. I don't need any more sleep. And so I would take little mini cat naps. And then the visionary experiences had been starting to accelerate throughout those first three days. And then it just started blossoming into everything after that was a multidimensional 360 degree spherical experience of um, a light show, omnivision of this visionary experience. And I know your, your audience probably are all experienced meditators and 
When we meditate, we sometimes have a visceral experience. We sometimes have an intuitive hit of knowingness. And sometimes we get maybe a vision. But this was crystal clear omnivisions would come. Every time you meditate, it would be shown to you with precision. Geometries or scenes are shown to you that is so clear that there's no more doubt about the the strength and clarity of the answers that you come that come through and as the day progressed there was a lot of remembering of past lives integrating the gifts and abilities of past lives remembering myself as a qigong master in a previous life and recognizing that in this life i was meant to reactivate some of those skills but as a modern city dwelling woman who you know speaks multiple languages and is not living in the mountains and that that in a way our spirituality is much easier if we're hiding in the mountains meditating in a cave and it's actually more advanced so much respect to our audience all of us who are you know like have jobs and moms and dads and and living in urban areas, trying to bring our spirituality into the hustle and bustle of this life. That's actually very advanced practice, you know. So remembering all of that, and then um, yeah, different beings across different dimensions that visited and shared support and guidance and cheering and um, a lot of remembering why I came here in this life and also a few really beautiful interactions with the Kogis that um, that came to visit during my days in the dark room and teaching me things and so many things that were um, shared in a zip file, very rapid download kind of experience that after I came out of dark room, it took me 10 years to integrate. This year, I feel called sometime before the end of the year to actually go back and get my next, you know, next set of downloads. I've spent the entire last 10 years living up to all of the insights and wisdom that came through in that darkness retreat. And, um, when it was finally time after nine days and nine nights, when it was time to come out of the dark room, they they schedule it for around sunset time on that ninth evening. And because we've gotten so used to the darkness experience and actually in the darkness, there's a lot of light, right? Like a lot of colors, a lot of experience happens. And because most people don't sleep much after the third day is a 24 seven experience, a visionary experience unfolding, unfolding, unfolding. Your body's still deeply restful, but your soul is traveling and having all of these very powerful experiences for many days straight. It's quite a profound transformational journey. And then you come out and you wear sunglasses to adjust to the light of the outside. And this is so memorable. I'll never forget it. As I came out, it was the sunset time and you could see the sunset and the colors were so breathtakingly beautiful to see that sunset. It's, there are no words to describe this beauty is always available and we miss it most of the time. And I would pick up one flower, just stare at it. Like, um, you know, people that have done different uh 
different visionary medicines will appreciate this, except I know I didn't take anything from the outside in. I was fasting, meditating, and just drinking a little bit of water. And I realized from the inside out, I attune my being to a state where I look at this one flower and there's colors that I'd never seen before. Dimensions to the geometry and the beauty that I never appreciated before. And it was the trippiest thing of everything I looked at, seeing the templates of creation, the love, the beauty, the geometry that underlies this physical reality. And everything is so beautiful that it moves you to tears, realizing, wow, it's all here. This life is so intensely beautiful. And so much of the time, we just, we just miss it. So let's not miss it anymore. Let's actually be present with all the beauty that life has to offer. Let's take maximum advantage of all the juice, the goodness, the beauty. So much to appreciate here. I have so much gratitude for that experience because that really helped me integrate a lot of what I experienced in 2003, this feeling of a mismatch between dimensions, like this expansion of infinite love and light. But then when I'm in my body, I don't feel that way, you know, and it took the dark room experience for me to start merging and integrating those experiences of life. And it continues to this day, of course. It sounds like an amazing experience that I would like to try, and I'm sure many people in the audience would like to as well. Yeah, so um, the Darkroom Retreat is not for everybody, of course. I recommend to take it very seriously and um, to prepare yourself for it. I had a wonderful experience right from the get-go. I know some of my friends and colleagues that went to the retreat had to encounter a lot of uncomfortable thoughts and a comfortable facing of old fears and anxieties. So, so be ready for whatever needs to unfold because there's no distraction. You cannot, well, you could turn, turn on the light or say I'm exiting, but you know, like I, to get a really beautiful experience, I recommend having some experience with meditation and a lot of inner work so that once you go into the darkness and complete stillness, no distraction, that you can have a beautiful, nourishing, loving experience for yourself. Speaking of meeting beings, you encountered your son pre-birth in a dream, right? Yeah, that happened shortly after Darkroom. So Darkroom opened up all these multidimensional sensitivities and sensibilities for me. I came back out of Darkroom, went back to San Francisco. I was living in the city at that time. And then I had a Chinese medicine practice that was doing well and thriving. And so I noticed that it really honed my intuitive skills where it had skyrocketed to a degree that a patient would walk in they lay on the treatment table. I just see things and know things and I could zero in on how to be helpful. And so my clinical efficacy skyrocketed after that. Very useful. It's very practical. But at night, living in the city became intolerable for me. I couldn't tolerate it. I was tuning. I didn't know how to turn it on and off, this intuitive awareness. I was able to basically hear at least the energetic noise, the quality of my neighbor's thoughts. 
and emotions. And they're, when they're stressed out and cranky, I could, it was too much. It was so energetically noisy that I basically dragged my husband out of the city and moved to a little country town over an hour outside the city and said, I, I can't tolerate living in the city anymore. So either you come with me or I'm just going without you and we can just have a long distance relationship because I, I really need to be in nature. So for the first time in my life, I actually understood the power of complete full spectrum light during the day and complete darkness at night and how much our human physiology and also our access to our full dimensions of our consciousness is dependent on light and darkness. I wasn't sensitized to it until after darkroom. So we moved to the countryside. I would see complete, beautiful, natural sunlight during the day. And then at night, it, I could actually experience true darkness with maybe occasionally just the moon and the stars, but no street light. And there was no Wi-Fi and 5G signal noise because we would turn off my Wi-Fi hub and there was no 5G towers nearby. And we couldn't pick up, unlike in the city, you pick up 20 other you know, Wi-Fi hubs in your neighborhood. There was no noise like that energetically. And I'd go barefoot on bare earth. And I realized, wow, in this state, so many things change. My meditations deepen. My health got better and better and better. I um would do barefoot on bare earth grounding. And I would get information from Pachamama, from Mother Earth. I would just feel like intuitive information from the earth. Sun gazing during the day, I felt myself experiencing information flows from sun gazing. Um, at night, I would go my dream time, just insights and intuition would come. Meditation became very easy and natural. And in that state, this little boy started visiting and said, hello, I'm ready to come in now. And my husband and I had been, you know, kind of freedom loving hippies and we really liked our independence we weren't sure we wanted children and so we're like no 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 we're not having children and so this boy started negotiating and talking with us about well things are different now and so throughout a series of months almost every night he would visit and we would have these play dates in my dream time with this little boy who would sometimes show up as an orb and sometimes he'd show up as a really cute three-year-old boy. I think he was trying to convince me because, you know, when they're three, they're like maximal cuteness. And so he started sharing things like, you know, everything that you hesitate about parenthood. I agree. You are right. You know, my husband and I, we didn't see many examples of different paradigms of edu education and parenting. And there was so much of it that just looked like behavior modification, kind of like a, almost like dog training, sorry to say. Right? We grew up with a lot of, I mean, all of our parents did the very best, right? And they did much better than the previous generation. We're always trying to evolve and do better. But we just didn't resonate with like, you're grounded, go sit down, shut up, you know, go to school and do this little workbook and get good grades and whether you like it or not. And there was just a lot that felt like not the energy we wanted to be in. And so, so this boy started saying, you know, there's a whole generation of us that are wanting to come to the planet to, to embody and show a new possibility of what it is to be human. Everything that you guys hesitate about 
parenting and the old education paradigms that you don't want to participate in. I don't want to participate in either. And that's why we want you to be my parents. And so there was this one night because he was showing up repeatedly. And I would tell my husband, the little boy is here. The baby is here. And he'd be like, la, 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 la. I'm not hearing this. I'm not hearing this, you know. And um, one night in a half-wake, half-dream state, this boy comes in again. And he shows me the scene. He shows me what is like a huge, as far as your eyes can see, web work of all these orbs of light, so beautiful. And as this is being shown to me, I'm experiencing this intensely blissful, joyful state, very close to what I experienced in 2003 when I first exploded into the size of the cosmos and experienced what deep joy and love and contentment. Right? That became a compass that, that I calibrated to. Like when truth comes through, there's a feeling that you resonate with, a feeling in your heart, a feeling in the cells of your being. And so he was showing me this scene, but it wasn't just a vision. It was an experience with all my senses. And he said, look at this, this scene. Every one of us have scoured the cosmos because... We want to come to the planet right now. We've all chosen because it's an exciting time to come to planet Earth right now. And every one of us have scoured the Earth to find the perfect set of family and the perfect parents and the perfect communities to incarnate into. And there's intricate timing aligned with planetary alignments align with each other's arrival times and geographic locations and so on, all of these permutations of perfection that weaves together to create this tapestry of light that you're seeing. There's no accident. We've all mathematically calculated it out. So I have chosen you to be my parents because is a perfect choice for me, but it's also interrelated to all of these other incarnations. We've all chosen to come at specifically coordinated times and places to blanket the earth with this beautiful energy, to show a new example, a new possibility of what it means to be human. And you're going to have to take my word for it. But just so you know, this is a free will universe. You have a choice to become a parent or not. You have a choice to conceive me or not. But so you know what you're choosing is this entire permutation that you will participate in this whole weaving of a new consciousness. You're not choosing just this nuclear family that, you know, just mom, dad, and the kid. You're choosing to be part of this. If you choose not to participate, yeah, you have that choice. And then... He disappeared the whole scene. And he said, we'll have to go back to the drawing board and come up with a new permutation that works best for everybody. So no pressure or anything. And um, and so I share all this with my husband and he's like, oh boy, okay. And, you know, bless his heart. Like I'm, you know, in some ways like, uh, those of us that have these multidimensional experiences, I don't know if your show, um, a lot of the guests talk about like, what about the family members? Like, how are they interacting with this 
weird set of experiences that you're bringing through. I mean, you just really have to bless the hearts of all of our family members to tolerate our weirdness, you know? So he tolerates my weirdness. And actually, in fact, one day shortly after that, in a yoga class where he was just stretching because he's an athlete and he goes to yoga once in a while to stretch his body, he was in Shavasana at the end of the class laying there resting and he had a dream and our boy visited him and they had this wonderful play date and so we both tune into the energy of this boy and there was one moment in which we felt his presence because we had already met him and we knew that he was available and he was there and it was the right time to consciously conceive him and it was a incredible experience for me as uh, a woman to tune into this energy to feel his presence and right after the conception it was like a breathing cycle got kick-started in my womb and the whole time throughout pregnancy we were already friends and so I could communicate with him and have his guidance of which midwife and the home birth experience and what to eat and how to take care of my health so that my being was in harmony with his being. And it's a, it's a beautiful, magical journey that I wish for more women and more families to step into the experience of a more conscious communication and conception and pregnancy and birth and then you know it continues to evolve in early childhood so many things that they call like attachment parenting and co-sleeping and baby wearing and there's a philosophy called rye philosophy where you're respecting your baby it's like you know you don't need all these philosophies just your heart naturally knows intuitively this is a powerful infinite cosmic being that is blessing our family with their presence and you know they get rowdy sometimes and they have cranky meltdowns sometimes but on the deepest level we relate with one another in this way and this is part of the experience of all of us every one of us right now across the planet we're blossoming into an expanded awareness of what it means to be human what it means to be a sensitive awake aware multi-dimensional human that's tuned into the fuller set of possibilities of this life you mentioned earlier, both in the podcast and before we started, that your son has pre-birth memories. Does he still have those memories today? Yes, does he, he does. Does he get new ones on top of that? Sometimes. I have to say I, there's a little bit of sadness in my heart. They started. He started having the language to talk about it at age four. And then at age five and six, he talked about it a lot at age seven, too. And then now that he's eight, he still talks about it, but more infrequently. It seems like there's a sweet spot there where this, the veils are so thin and they just have started having the language to articulate what they're experiencing and seeing, you know, but the, the purity of innocence of not filtering themselves at all, just sharing completely openly. I feel like age four to seven is that window. So any moms, dads, educators, grandpas, grandmas, aunties, uncles listening, um, I wish for you to have that magical experience of just deep listening to the young children when the veils are really thin to, to receive the gifts and the wisdom and the awesomeness that they have to offer about all of these levels of reality. What are some of the most surprising things he told you about his pre-birth experience? Surprising thing. 
I mean, I've had so many strange, you know, multidimensional experiences. I don't know if anything was surprising, but more just delightful, you know, the delightful experience that he says, yeah, you know, mama, when I was in space, he called this space. It started because we're reading books about space, by the way. And he's like, mama, space doesn't really look like this. Space has planets and all of that, but, and has stars and galaxies, but it is actually packed with space babies. This book doesn't have all the space. It was teeming with millions that he didn't even know numbers back then. There are millions and millions and millions of space babies packed into space. And when I was a space baby, at the speed of thought, I could be a grain of sand or the size of a house. I could change any time and I could boom, jump from here to there. And when we were space baby, we used to play space hide and seek. It was really fun because you can hide behind a planet. You can come visit this planet. You can leave and go back to space and you can do all these things. And we used to play all these fun games and so many things that he would share. He said, he said, when I was in space, before I jumped into the tunnel, the portal that allowed me to go into your belly, I met this guy who had just died and he came back to space and he recommended that I not burn my body. I was like, how do you know about burning? We hadn't had any deaths in the family, so I'd never talked to him about cremation or anything. Like, I don't know how he knew about that. So he said, well, this guy said that if someone dies and you burn their body too soon, it can be a little bit hard for you to go back to space and that it can be, I, I don't know what words he used, but basically like disruptive of the process of your consciousness, leaving the body and going back. So he said that to me at first once I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. And then he said it again and again and again and again. He's like, mama, when I die, I want my body to be completely left alone and buried in the ground so I can have gentle, peaceful transition back to space because it takes some time to do that. I don't want it to be interrupted by the body being burned, which I thought was a little surprising and interesting. But the delightful things that he shares with me, so many things, he says, there's a there's something like a machine. He calls it a machine. It's like, it's like a multi... Uh, dimensional shape that dead people and dead stars go into the shape and it spits out space babies fresh new joyful fun new space babies and once you become a space baby there are these beings that come to welcome you they take good care of you and they're very kind very nice and they help you to decide which planet you want to go to next and once you decide that you look on these screens and these screens aren't like rectangular. They're a certain kind of, like he says, they're triangulars, triangular shape, but the, the tips of the triangles are cut off. I mean, it's like very intricate details he's telling me. And you can look on these screens and you can see any family that you want to see and you can pick and choose the families and you can watch the families. And once you pick a family, then you can jump into your future mama and papa's dreams and start communicating with them. And I was so happy the first time I jumped into your dream, you could hear me because usually people 
mamas and papas can't hear. And the space babies really try hard to communicate. But most mamas and papas are so tired, so cranky, so busy, they can't hear it. So I had to help some of my friends in space like, hey, how come you were so successful? How can you get help me to get through to my future mama and papa so that they know it's my time to you know come through? All of this kind of stuff, he would just volunteer all these kinds of stories. And um, one thing that that was surprise and delightful, he shared with me when he was maybe like almost six, he was like, mama, do you know why is really important to sleep at night? I'm like, why? Because you want to heal and rest your body? He was like, that's a small part of it. The real reason is because when we're, this is before he's like, right now he's really into math. So he's really good at percentages. So he has more precise percentages, but he says, when we're awake, we are, um, don't take these percentage as perfect, but it's something like we are something like 70% here on earth in our bodies and 30% in space. When we're asleep, we are like, 70% in space and 30% or 75, 20, whatever percentage is, we're mostly in space. And then, um, and but the exact percentage, it changes depending on your age, he says. But when we're asleep, we're mostly in space. And then when we die, 100% of us travels back to space. So this is all stuff when he was five and six, he started offering this kind of information. So the reason is really important to sleep and the reason why people that don't sleep get cranky is because when you sleep, you go back to space and you remember who you really are as a space baby. And when I was a space baby, when you're a space baby, you only know peace and happiness. You know fun, you know joy. You are healthy and happy all the time. You don't know about crankiness. You don't know about sadness. You know, definitely don't know about loneliness. When we were space baby, we used to look on these screens on planet Earth and see people getting cranky and yelling at people and being sad and crying and lonely and all these things. We're like, that's so interesting. What is that all about? Because we don't know about that when we're space babies. But when we're Earth babies, we experience sadness and anger and loneliness and all of these things that we have no idea when we're space babies. So when we sleep, we go back to space and we remember ourselves as peaceful and happy. Then we can bring some of that peaceful and happy energy back into our Earth life. And that's why people need to sleep. And if you don't sleep, you start to forget what that true way that we really are as peaceful, happy space babies. So it's really important to get good sleep every night. The do wisdom you, of a six-year-old, yeah. Do you think it's possible that part of your son's mission here is to be your teacher? I think all our children, the mission here is to be our teacher. And I think um, the paradigm of parenting that's shifting right now, because it used to be so hierarchical, maybe we came from a paradigm where it's like the adult is always the authority pointing their finger, telling us what to do. Sometimes in the spiritual communities, I've noticed, I just want to call it out because 
because we are awake and aware to the fact that our children are bringing a beautiful consciousness that then they come here and then we flip it and we think that they're somehow higher and better than us. And in some ways they are bringing, the veils are thinner and they're bringing a more expansive consciousness. Yes, but there is also a reason they specifically chose us as facilitators and earth guides for them. So I would like to enter into a paradigm where we all bring our best gifts together and not putting these, you know, indigos, crystal, rainbow children, I call them luminous kids. And um, because there's some stories and baggage behind the old terminologies of indigos, crystals, star seeds, all of these labels. Um, I feel this new generation of luminous kids, they are here to help awaken these expansive possibilities. And at the same time, we adults who've been on planet Earth longer, we have a lot to offer too. We can help them ground and get practical and support and facilitate them with the tools that we already know are available here, but align to a new consciousness that they're bringing forth. So yeah, I think we are here to teach them and they're here to teach us. And in the new paradigm that we're entering into, it's like, like parents and grandparents and teachers and mentors and children, we all respect and honor each other equally. And um, there's a magic and beauty that can rise out of this, this non-hierarchical way of being. Earlier, you mentioned something about having an extraterrestrial experience, whether it was being on a ship or something. Yeah, I can share the short version. Um, in 2011, I thought the world was going to um, end in 2012, like many of us. So yeah. back in 2010, 2011, I'm like, oh, okay, I better do lots of meditation and training and learn how to, you know, um, build emergency shelters and, and start a fire and grow some food and <laughs> like prepare for, for the apocalypse, which turns out the apocalypse was supposed to happen now. So we had like a decade, extra decade of grace. Anyway, so back in 2011, because I was so focused on doing this level of spiritual spiritual preparation and inner work. Um, I went to many, many retreats, and it was just a very focal part of my life back then. And so it was after this, this one retreat in Mount Shasta where a lot of interesting experiences happened. And I came home, and I kept having these interesting dreams. And there's one particular series of dreams that happened in 2011 where... I've, by the way, this is um, the very first time I've shared this story on camera, but I think this this audience can handle these types of stories for sure. So in 2011, I had a series of what they call dreams, but I'm not sure they're dreams, um, where the first of the dreams was I experienced myself waking up on a surgical table, but it was a very futuristic surgical table that was very lightweight and not so clunky and old school like the ones that we experience here or on we see on TV. And then there were all these beings, some of them human, some of them non-human surrounding my body. And then suddenly I realized, wait a minute, that's my body, but I'm standing here, my body and me. What's going on here? And then I look around. I'm like, I'm on a ship. And there's a moment in which I was like, did I get abducted? And then another moment where I kind of took a beat and took a deep breath. I'm like, no, I'm here on my own volition. 
I look into the eyes of all these beings, some human, some non-human, and there's a telepathic kind of deep reverence and respect going on. There was nothing coercive, nothing scary in the energy. So I was like, what's going on here? And they're like, oh, how would you like to proceed with deep respect? Um, this is your body. What do you recommend? And then I realized that I had received a very powerful etheric surgery of my mind where old patterns of thinking had been surgically removed. And there was an opening in my crown that had been cut open. And I was like, well, how should we close up this space? And in the end, the choice was something like um, a, a crown that was so just blends so perfectly there was a membrane to it that I could actually open and close and almost like a nostril. I don't know if I'm articulating well, but we're like, okay, let's do that. And so that was installed and it felt very natural. And it was just a wonderful, very peaceful, harmonious kind of simple procedure is how it felt. It's a very simple, straightforward procedure, but boom, the alarm rings. I'm like, oh, what time is it? I gotta go to work. So I wake up and all day, there's a wind tunnel of energy here. That is like a giant nostril breathing, breathing, breathing. And I went to work and all day I was like, what's going on here? And my clients are like, what a weirdo. I'm always like kind of touching the wind in my head. And it turns out I had a new crown chakra that was breathing all day long. I didn't know what that's like to have a very open, pulsating, breathing crown chakra. And with, you know, I could consciously like feel this flow of freshness and wind and energy through my crown. And then I went to sleep that next night. I was like, boom right back where I left off. And they said, well, here, please come to this part of the ship. And then I saw some friends there. I was like, hey, you're here. I remember seeing you at that last retreat. I was like, you're here too, my goodness. And it's like, it was like fun. And, and we were put into a tub of this liquid light that infuse us with beautiful energies and soften the calcification and the hardness that was in our circuitry. I just felt really good, like going to a spa and, you know, getting a hot tub and a sauna and massage. It was that kind of experience, except I knew that this was profoundly medicinal and the energy surgery that was happening as part of this whole therapeutic process was, was something quite deep. And then boom, the next day I woke up, I was like, oh, I feel good. I feel like refreshed. Like just, I just had a spa treatment when I woke up the next day. And then the day after that, I was like, hmm, I wonder if I'll go back. And sure enough, the third night again, I was back on the ship. And um, now I'm in the, basically the PT department. And there is this um, teaching you how to use your new crown chakra therapy that was being shared with me. And what is that Mozart song? Ein Kleiner something. Ein Kleiner uh, Nazi music. Do, do, do. 
that song. They're like, let's use that. Did you know your crown can play music? And so I was able to kind of almost like learning to use a muscle for the first time, playing music with my crown. It's like, this is beautiful. Wow. Can everyone's crown do this? Yeah. We just need to learn how to exercise it. And I had a little extra help. So it wasn't so hardened from this earth life that I couldn't access the strength and agility of this. And then I was taught that you can also shine light. So there was a combination of sounds and lights that I started using my newly, um, you can say, upgraded crown to help play music and light and geometries and beauty and just I was, it was just delightful. And then the fourth night I went back and they said, did you know you can do that with your heart chakra and with your lower chakras, with all of your chakras, with your hands? And so I started playing with the combos of lights and sounds with all the chakras, combining together, bringing, and there's a different quality of energy from the heart chakra and so on. And then there were others on the ship that also had activated these abilities. And that's how I experienced co-creation of beauty, turning this life into art, into a beautiful masterpiece through the magic of us co-creating together and that all of our energy centers can produce lights and sound vibrations and frequency patterns that is full of infinite possibilities. Just like these hands, like if some an alien came in that didn't have opposable thumbs and hands and said, well, what can you do with these hands? It's like, well, what are you talking about? What couldn't you do with these hands? The same with our crown, with our heart, with all of the energy centers, we can produce beautiful lights and sounds and patterns of energies that actually manifest into beautiful physical reality if we learn how to cultivate the skillfulness. And so that was my first experience into a, a whole world of possibilities that I wasn't even aware of until those series of four finger quote dreams. And I, I've been told by contactees that that a lot of contact experiences happen in this way. And I thought that I was having some really awesome dreams, but many people would be of the opinion that those were some profound contact experiences. And yeah, there's nothing weird about it. I think more and more of us will start to tap into these experiences. And it was all based on my own consent and free will. And I'm deeply grateful for the gifts of having received this education and upgrade that happened. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. <laughs> Are you up for that? And if so, how should they reach you? Yeah, I have a couple of websites. And the main website is dredithubuntu.com. That's spelled D-R-Edith ubuntu ubuntu.com i trust you can put the the spelling on the show notes mm -hmm. that's my main website that can kind of portal you to all the work that i do um i do um consciousness coaching human potential coaching i have two days a week as a chinese medicine practitioner still um and also with raising this new generation of children i'm just very the last few years with things changing so fast with school closure closures and so many things happening i'm just being guided to spend more and more of my energy focusing on how can we raise this new generation of what i call luminous kids in a 
a more beautiful way. And there's um, systems are crumbling fast out there. There's a big need for us to build this more beautiful world that that we know is emerging through our families and communities right now. So that all of that work, the education parenting work can be found at luminousrevolution.com. I have a program called the Luminous Education Revolution on there that the audience might be interested in. And we talk about multidimensional children and how to raise them in a beautiful way. And um, yeah, so dredithubuntu.com and luminousrevolution.com are my two websites. What is the title of your book and where can people find it? Thank you so much for bringing this up. My first book is called Super Wellness and Amazon's probably the best place to find it. It features a, a foreword by my friend Wim Hof and it looks at those really um, the best bang for the buck, simple self-care tools to attune our physiology Um to a state of well-being. So with this audience, you'll see right through the camouflage. It camouflages as a health and wellness book. But as you read through the pages, you'll see that it's really a consciousness book. It's about how can we attune this physical vessel so that we can be open to the higher dimensions of possibilities that wants to move through us. So that is really, I have so much gratitude for you, Jeff, and all these beautiful, inspiring conversations, because this is what it is to be human is no longer fringe or woo-woo. It's normal to be awesomely multidimensional, to bring heaven onto earth and to make practical these conversations. All of these so-called near-death experiences are really inviting us to live more fully, more richly, to be more present with all the gifts and beauties of this life while we're in the physical, so that when we finally cross over and we have those multidimensional 360 life reviews, we can feel like, yeah, Job well done. Let's celebrate. What a good one. Bravo. You know, that's what it's all about. Before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? I want to just honor and thank everybody listening. I want you to know that you're not alone. There are a lot of weirdos out there that we are bringing a vision of a more beautiful possibilities in this world. The old world is crumbling fast, and this, this richness of life, this consciousness that's able to access multidimensional possibilities. In the old world, they didn't understand it. So many of us felt outcasted. We felt alone. We felt like we were weirdos. But actually, this is the true essence of what it is to be human. So I wish for all of us to shed some of those, uh, the baggage of the past, take a deep breath and let those go and give yourself permission to shine fully and brightly. And with all your quirkiness, all your eccentricities, authentically shine yourself fully. And yeah, let's turn this life into a beautiful masterpiece. Dr. Edith, thank you for that message, and thank you for being my guest. It's my honor. What a beautiful um, gathering we had today. Thank you guys for sharing this conversation with me, and I look forward to keeping in touch, those who wish to keep in touch. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara Podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.